could have become even more busy for you because other people that would have been taking care of the education, like teachers, you were having to be the teacher at home. Mm -hmm. You were having to be the caretaker. Um, if an older parent couldn't go to a senior, uh, senior center. So I think for a lot of people, life became more hectic, but for other people, it's, um, it slowed down. And then it gave us a chance to kind of reevaluate how we would re-engage when the world opened back up. Mm -hmm. So what are some things you feel like you learned about yourself during the pandemic? I feel like I learned definitely to, I mean, I always knew as a psychiatrist, you have to pace yourself, but I'm going to come back to that probably over and over again. But I think it really put into perspective what is the most important. A lot of us were grappling, um, grappling with life and death matters during that time and sort of really prioritizing people in your lives that mean the most to you, your family, your friends, also meant about, it was important about how you can be responsible for others. Mm -hmm. And I think not only for me, but for everyone in general, we learned about um, what are things I can do to keep myself safe, but other people around me safe if I were around someone that was more vulnerable, like what do I have to do on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, whether that's wearing a mask, washing your hands more frequently, all those type of things. But I, I think we became more conscious of other people in a way that we didn't before. So one thing that I am noticing is as you go back to work, we all have colds and we get sick here and there. Mm -hmm. But now you're sort of like, do I need to push myself? If I go to work, I'm going to make other people sick. And I think that's a nice courtesy. Now, um, you know, keep wearing your mask or if you are um, very sick, don't go and make other people sick. Like that's something that people used to do all the time. And maybe I think about that more being in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely it's being more considerate of others. Mm. Another thing I realized about the pandemic, um, we've seen a big change in the wealth gap. A lot of people were talking about that this was a time where the black community was able to touch money that they weren't able to touch in a long time in the sense that um, unemployment, a lot of people made a lot of money on unemployment, you know, legally and illegally. illegally. A lot of people got PPP loans, SBA loans, a lot of black people started businesses during this time. And we see this transference of wealth, but then we would say that it's nothing compared to what our counterparts did probably during this time. You working in the hospital, did you see any shifts economically in the hospital? Because we know nurses, traveling nurses in particular, made a lot of money during this time, certain doctors. Did you see any shift during Corona and now? Hmm. Personally, for me, I can't say that things changed economically um, for, um, but I could actually say that for some physicians, um, their pay decreased mm -hmm. because if you were doing something like elective procedures, mm -hmm. that didn't happen anymore. If you were a dentist for a while, you were closing your office initially because we didn't know too much about the transmission. If you were a surgeon, an anesthesiologist, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, their jobs were, um, their hours were cut, restricted, were furloughed, or even lost their um, jobs. So I would say during that time, 
Um, initially during the pandemic, some people felt more financially insecure. I do think that for other people that did lose their jobs that maybe weren't positions that were able to get unemployment um, and you know, no matter what the sector, that was um, a good measure by the government to try to help buoy people up. What you did with your unemployment money is up to you. So some people could have invested it, some people use it to take care of their basic needs, whether you invested it in um, the stock market. I know that was very um, hot during a period of time. Yeah, or cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin. and some people were flying high and doing really well with that. And then, unfortunately, um, then the market kind of tanked, I think, um, yeah. beginning of last year, maybe, end of 2021, early 2022, whatever, yeah. um, around that time. So if you weren't too savvy, then you could have lost a lot of um, money as well. But I think a lot of people started thinking, okay, I don't have my normal form of income. Mm -hmm. What can I do? Whether that's stocks, whether that's real estate. And mm -hmm. so I would say um, in various communities, in the, in the black communities, I started to hear more podcasts and um, online shows, TV shows, addressing how to um, invest your money come up with new businesses to try to sustain yourself when the typical jobs were no longer available. Mm, I understand. Yeah, and it's funny we should say podcasting because we've been doing this since 2016. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we in the ninth season of The Real World. Shout out to The Real World. Um, and everybody that's been watching us since then. And we see a lot of people come and go in this game, in this podcasting game. Mm -hmm. And originally it started off with me just preaching in the church and then uh, having a pastor that's saying record the things that we're doing and it came into podcast and now they called it podcasting afterwards originally it was just facebook live you know yeah. or live streaming and then you know they rebranded and a lot of our people jumped on it but this goes back to something that i was I actually preached about last week where too much of us is preaching and out of us and not enough of us is practicing actually doing the word like mm -hmm. Everybody wants to sit on a podcast and talk about what should be done. Like the other day, I was, I was having a back and forth with this pastor, and his whole thing was, he was upset because of preaching, as in like you know politics. Certain churches don't want certain pastors preaching it at their churches if they preach a certain message. Mm -hmm. So he fell away because his message wasn't being received at that time okay. currently. And so he felt like, okay, um, this is how I feel, but my message is the correct message that even you should follow. And I'm like, okay, like that's the message that you choose to have at this point, but don't try to force your will harshly upon me. Like pray for the spirit to work. Like don't try to force it on me. And if I don't, you're literally calling me and others imbeciles. Like I'm like, that's not the way that you do things. Like yeah. that's not even the way Christ did things. And so we see that, and it's too much people preaching. Like, everyone wants to say, this is what we should do. This is what we should do. So this is not what we're doing. This is not what we're doing. But how many people are actually put into action and doing those things? Like, okay, what can we do? What is it that we can actually do right now together? And the, and the first thing they always say is, black people don't work together. Okay, you're a black person. Go work with another black person. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that from a black professional standpoint? I think um, it is important that we work together, that we support our own communities. It's easier, I think, for you to 
look at someone that looks like you and have more love and respect and deference and grace towards that person and we have seen that in all realms of our lives um, especially when it unfortunately comes to police brutality so mm -hmm. in order to help ourselves yes we can we should definitely everybody is valuable we can all help and receive help from other people but we know what we need mm -hmm. um, a little bit more than other people do in some specific areas at different times. I know I'm putting a lot of qualifiers there, but I, I do think that it is an important message. And I and I wouldn't say that black people are not helping black people. Like you definitely see a lot of community programs as um, during the pandemic, I saw a lot of churches specifically reaching out to their communities that looked just like them to encourage them whether it was to get the vaccines help them with food um but again it's not like people are callous and want to ignore other people but you're there's just something innate in you when you're going to have a little bit more affinity affinity to, towards people that look a little bit more like you and so it's a good place to start mm. one of the things he said was this right he said, okay, we've been doing a yearly turkey drive for the last six years. And, you know, we do roughly about 100, 150 turkeys um, for the last two years. We've been able to do 200 turkeys. And so this guy goes, oh, I think it's a joke that you go and you hand out turkeys in the community. Because what does that do for them? That's not, I used to think that was blessing them, but now I think that's an insult. And I'm like, how? He said, because you have to go to the white man to get the money to buy the turkeys to give to the black man. And I said, okay, but you're a black man. You could have helped be buying these turkeys. But I came to the black people first. Like, some of them didn't help. So I had to go to someone else, you know? Like, I went to someone that I knew that worked with a media company who had connections with a supermarket chain. And they donated 100 turkeys. And we bought the other 100 that made the 200 so it's like you know I feel like it's a frivolous game that they're playing where it's like they want to use every excuse in the book and it's like they want to eat at your confidence by downplaying your accomplishments while screaming out your failures and I feel like that's something that we've been doing to each other for a long long time do you do you feel like it's the same between women? Uh, I think collectively in society we know that there are certain groups that have always been marginalized. Mm -hmm. And if you are a member of that marginalized group, you want to help other members of that group and advocate for yourself and those people. Mm -hmm. So collectively we know that and we try to work together to help each other. That's why you have women's groups in church, women's groups in the professional workplace, um, even, you know, in, in many different domains, companies that target um, women, groups, clubs, all of that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that you are going to always experience difficult interpersonal relationships with random people at random times. And so sometimes you can say, oh, this person doesn't necessarily support me. How can this woman not support me? I'm also a female. But, you know, you can also say, like, 
even within your own family, you know, you may not get along with your um, sister or if your male may not get along with your brother, it doesn't mean that you're against all males or something. It just means that you have a little bit of interpersonal difficulty with that one person and hopefully that can work out. So mm. I do think like groups do try to help each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think also, especially with our increased consciousness in our society now, we are all trying to, many of us are trying to work towards a better, more cohesive, unified goal of um, equality. And I think the thing that threw that to the forefront was all of us watching the murder of George Floyd and seeing that in terms of um, there has been a reawakening of America's racial conscience and there's still so many egregious wrongs that are happening mm. but I do see in my workplace and others and in society us trying to move forward to address some issues which you might say are well, specific wait. for one area. I'm sorry to stop you. Do you think the George, the George Floyd situation was a racial situation or do you think it was a personal situation? Because him and the police officer, they knew each other and they had personal backgrounds. I think it was both. Mm -hmm. Definitely the personal background has a huge role to play in it, but um, I, I think with so many people, there were so many people around and checking and, um, you know, saying like, look at what you're doing, so many people watching, I think even if it's a racial thing and also a power thing, like I have more power over you as an officer at this time, I think that also played into also, what happened. That played a bigger part, that he was a cop and he had a gun. Mm -hmm. Because the only other way that, he's basically using deadly force at that time. So the only mm -hmm. way to really stop him is if you use deadly force. Yeah, that's why, I mean, a lot of people I can imagine wouldn't intervene because you think, well, what are they going to do to me? Yeah. Right, yeah. Because then they could get charged for assault on an officer or obstruction of justice. But I think the initial um, call for a lot of um, a lot of black men, how they do end up in these encounters, I think a lot of that is due to racial profiling that starts the encounter and then um, then they dissolve and often sometimes result in a death where that did not have to happen. Do you feel like all black women are racially profiled? All? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think that individual people have biases in how they look at other people. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have to look at it at a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, how that officer is looking at the person there, but I do think overall black men are racially profiled negatively. So let me ask you this as more. a black woman, let's just say it's 11 p.m. at night, right? And you were walking down the street. There's a white guy on the left side of the street and there's a black guy on the right side of the street. And you have to cross to one side of the street at 11 p.m. Which side are you crossing on? I don't think I care. Mm. So you wouldn't fear for your safety or anything at that time? No, more so maybe as being a female around males. Like that's mm -hmm. a little bit of how I'm primed, but from mm -hmm. a white male versus a black male. Mm -hmm. No, and I remember growing up in 
um, and being in certain neighborhoods that might be described as a little bit more unsavory and unsafe and mm -hmm. one thing my mother always told me is like if you look like a victim you'll be a victim like you walk through places with confidence but I think I often think of myself late at night as first as a woman and what are the dangers to me but I might even feel more secure with someone that looks like me they're not a threat because they represent my father my brother my cousins things like that mm. The reason why I ask that question is even as a black male sometimes you might be walking late at night and you see a group of black men walking down the street, you might like, okay, I don't know what's gonna happen because you know, sometimes you can get robbed, you know, or you can get beat up, or sometimes there's nothing at all. Nothing happens and you guys just walk past. And they stereotype us, I say they I would say everybody, including ourselves, black men walking down the street with a hoodie. Not to say that to be real, black men have have committed crimes while with hoodies on. So it's like even in movies they show you somebody about to commit a crime, they throw out a hoodie and went outside. So it's like that's the cash twenty two in it, you know? Because we know both sides really do occur, the positive and the negative. Some of us have been victims of both. So I can say like those are just the realities of it. I feel like other races could do could do you dirty too, you know? Like the black people that went to Mexico and some of them end up dead and then, you know, they got kidnapped by the cartel. They try to make siblings sleep with each other, all type of crazy stuff. Or on the other side, the black kids that went to Mexico with each other and then the girl ended up dead. She got beat to death by one of her friends and they were all black. So, you know, it's like black on black or black by others. And it's like, we're, we should be outraged by everything. By everything. And again, you know, there are, um, I, I can't say like one race is worse than another race or when it comes to this, there's this always this imbalances. Like there are things that have happened in society that have kind of put fear and conditioned fear in certain groups about other groups, 100%. But then at the core of it, individuals make their own decisions and you have people that do bad things no matter what race mm -hmm. you are, no matter what gender you are. Mm -hmm. That's true. So tell us about your upbringing. Where, where did you grow up at and how was your childhood? I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. um, I had a pretty good stable upbringing in a Christian home mm -hmm. um, with parents that really advocated for me to get involved in what I loved and that happened to be science when I was a child and um, going into high school and so at that point I knew I wanted to be a research scientist mm -hmm. and um, as a teenager AIDS um, epidemic was very rampant especially in DC and that's just something that you're hearing about a lot so I was like okay I want to do HIV research and I did go on to college and do HIV related research and HIV research for my PhD mm -hmm. um, so spending over 10 years and and um, doing research related to HIV and other infectious diseases and cancer during that time and then I went to medical school thinking I would be an infectious disease doctor, but when I did my psychiatry rotation like we do during our third year of medical school, I really fell in love with psychiatry. 
And for me, I realized like if you're not, if your mind is not right, if you're not thinking clearly, every other aspect of your life is going to fall apart. And during that time, I also could see um, psychiatric illnesses really start to emerge among people that I knew. I think if you are um, younger, um, you may not necessarily recognize what's going on in a parent and a friend and a relative at somebody at church or something like that. But towards my mid-20s, I started thinking, oh, okay, this is um, a mental issue that they have. This is why things are that way. And I really wanted to help people um, with their minds. So that's how I ended up going into psychiatry. Mm. And I, how long have you been in the field practicing so far? So from finishing medical school, um, we do our training, but um, as being a full-fledged doctor for about eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been a long career then. Yeah, I mean, that includes residency, but um, yeah, I, I feel like definitely it's been really good. You learn every single day. You learn from every single patient. Mm -hmm. um, you see new manifestations of an illness. Um, a lot of things do repeat themselves in medicine, and um, that's how we're able to make diagnoses and treat people. But it's really, really nice. And what I enjoy doing as an emergency psychiatrist is being able to help people when they're in that moment of crisis and help them get to a point where they are at least a little bit stable so that they feel okay, they feel calm. They may not know what's going on if they're in a psychotic episode or maybe having a manic episode or they might feel completely overwhelmed by the world if they're in the middle of an anxiety attack or a depressive episode. But um, being able to help people just pause and freeze and get you stable for a while, I really enjoy being able to do that. and. You know, from there, there are many other settings that psychiatrists work in, whether you are in the hospital setting when someone has to be admitted to a psychiatric um, unit or whether you're seeing people in a clinic for visits every couple of weeks. Um, but I, I love the setting where I work. Hmm. So what would you say was some of the highlights of your career thus far? Hmm. This is going to sound very cliche, but I think when a patient says to me, thank you so much, or a family member says to me, thank you so much for what you did. And again, my interactions with people are very limited. I might only have 45 minutes with you an hour or a shift, you know, mm -hmm. eight, 12 hours, that's it, <laughs> or 24 hours. But like, it's, it's very short. And then most people I never see again, mm -hmm. but in that time when I'm really able to help people, at least they now have a diagnosis and they know it for what's been happening to them for a couple of months or years. I think that's helpful, um, being able to help someone become calm when they, again, weren't able to control their own emotions. I think that's really very rewarding. Um, and then in terms of other highlights in my um, I guess you can say more so professional highlights. Um, some things I've been able to do is do writing, medical writing for the media, and I think it's also been very helpful. I wrote um, and still work with ABC News to write articles, and um, during that time I was writing a lot about the 
COVID um, vaccine. And so when people would come to me and say, hmm, I was nervous about getting the vaccine because of this and that, but I read your article, I understand a little bit more how it works. Um, I'm thinking about getting this to help myself or to protect other people around me. That was also very rewarding to see something that you actually worked on, put out, be able to influence someone to make a positive decision in your respect. Because like I said before, before I um, was a psychiatrist, I did, I was a PhD immunologist and did vaccine research. So I definitely believe in the power of vaccines. And then that translates maybe to my third biggest accomplishment, co-authoring a children's book about the history of vaccines, because mm -hmm. I felt like I was able to talk to adults um, through my articles or even with media appearances like here, but not able to um, have as many opportunities to speak with children. So I felt like by writing a children's book, it helps them understand, okay, why am I going to the doctors to get a shot every couple of months like mm -hmm. children do? Mm -hmm. And it was really stories like that um, that even inspired me to get into science, learning about um, the various scientists that had found treatments for um, various diseases that we no longer really suffer from. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's powerful, powerful. I also saw the pictures of you getting an award as well, so congratulations on that. Thank you. That. Thank you. So it seems like you had a great career. Um, I know certain people, like let's just say um, Eric Thomas, he said for him to feel like his career is complete, for him to win a Nobel Peace Prize, that would be the ultimate highlight, his ultimate goal. Do you have an ultimate goal or highlight? At this point... I have not thought that far. I should probably work on a vision board. Um, I think at times I do have different goals for myself. Um, like, yeah, maybe I want to develop a vaccine. Um, maybe that was a goal when I was younger. Or now one of my other goals is to really um, help work in programs that help people after they leave the emergency room. Because again, I'm, I'm helping stabilize you, but what happens once you leave and working on that transition and working on access to care. So if I can do something that um, impacts the access that people have to the few psychiatrists that are out there and just makes the healthcare system a little bit more efficient, that would be good. So I would say that is a career goal of mine. And then I think overall, in terms of my life, I would like to do, um, in some way, be able to reach people, impact people, whether, I don't know if that's gonna be a hundred people or a million people, and I don't know what platform that would be in, mm -hmm. but to help them live their best possible life. Like, everyone won't have everything that they want in life. Not me, not you. Mm. Everyone will accomplish things. Everyone will go through periods where you feel stressed, where things aren't optimal. And, you know, stress is normal. Stress is actually helpful in certain situations. But I want people to feel like every day they're fulfilled in some way. And so I don't know exactly what that type of platform would be like but sharing the tips I've learned professionally as a doctor and also through my life experience about just how you can um, enjoy this wonderful experience of life that we all have been gifted with. Mm. 
What do you, what would you say is the craziest thing that you've seen since working as a doctor? Hmm. I have to think about that a little bit. The craziest cases or the yeah. craziest lessons I've learned? Well, anything you like to share. You could do one of each then since you name both. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I think early on, um, when you first become a doctor in your in your intern year, a lot of times you're rotating through lots of different specialties of medicine. Mm. Um, so before you focus squarely on your chosen specialty. So I think through seeing people that are really critically medically ill and deteriorating and learning that um, sometimes you can tell when the end is coming mm -hmm. for some people and really um, I would say learning how to recognize like this is important you need to stop and attend to that i think that's something um to this person to this thing i think that is a very important message that i've taken with me so sometimes we'll say um i'm busy i'm doing all of these different types of things and mm -hmm. trying to get various projects done we all have many jobs and commitments but also really remembering to prioritize the people that mean the most to us. Everyone's important. We all want to help everybody. But, you know, to each human being, there's probably five or ten people that mean the most to you and trying to do that. So I do remember sometimes having to make phone calls to people's family members saying, hey, this is... Um, it's very important that you see your family member. They may not have enough, a lot of time, or even when people are in psychiatric crisis, saying, like, your family member is struggling at this time. They actually need you. Or, and sometimes actually saying to people, they don't need you at this time. But, like, learning how to navigate relationships, when to pull closer and sometimes when to pull apart, I think those are lessons that I've I've learned just really trying to always prioritize people as much as you can it doesn't mean that you know you say oh I'm always going to go hang out with my friends so I'm not going to do anything for work like we all have to contribute to the collective betterment of the world too but I mean that's a huge lesson that I've learned um yeah that's deep that's deep oh also, your faith, right? Like you told me that um, you grew up in a Christian household. How has your faith impacted your life and your career? I think when things get really stressful, at times it's always good to know that after this world there is something else, there is something bigger. And so I am working, trying to do the best that I can here. But even if things don't work out, there was even something more to look forward to like there's hope and i think um what keeps us going as people is hope i mean that was president obama's message <coughs> during his campaign excuse me and bless you thank you and um it, it when you lose hope like that's 
um, when I, I see a lot of people that have lost all hope and they're at the end of their robes and they come and they're like, I don't want to live anymore. So I think um, my faith gives me hope and um, just kind of lets me know that somebody else has my back, even if I feel like people around me don't have my back professionally, whether it's personally, somebody else is there for you. That's deep, that's And what's a way that you're paying your blessings forward? I think trying to mentor people that are interested in doing what I'm doing because I know the path mm -hmm. is very important. I would reach out to people maybe a year or two older than me, ask a couple of questions, or they would even reach out to me and say, hey, I noticed this in you, think about this. And that was very important. So if I have... Um, if somebody approaches me and says, hey, I'm interested in becoming a doctor or I'm interested in becoming a psychiatrist, I will take time. I will meet with you. Now we're doing things more virtually, but if it's in person, fine. Having, you know, somebody wants to shadow me to see what I'm doing, how I operate, because people used to, I used to shadow other doctors to learn what it was like. I used to work in other people's lives when I had no skills, no training, just to learn and be exposed, and then I can go from there. So I think it's very important to mentor people to give back because the way, the, the reason why I am who I am and where I am right now is definitely because a lot of people invested their time and energy in me, whether that was through uh, formal education, whether that was through um, community groups, scouting groups. So that is something that I'm very, um, acutely aware of and try to do now. Mm. What's one thing that you're working on improving for this year? For myself? Getting back to my um, being physically healthy. I think a lot of times in life we can let our physical health slide. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, so what am I, you know, I was just very busy. Again, like I said, I had a book come out last year and you can just get caught up in trying to do the stuff that you need to do for work, working a lot of hours, but now I really am trying to prioritize exercising every day. It's something that I love to um, do and used to do regularly. I got into running marathons um, as a graduate student to make myself be more active. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I could kind of let that slide or I wasn't exercising as much. And so last year I realized, okay, I'm not doing that as much as I used to. That's affecting my health. So definitely trying to focus on that a little bit more. Mm. And it really does, when you're exercising, it really does um, build your endorphins. Even if you're tired, just going and doing a little bit of physical activity, even if it's not the 45 minute intense workout, but it's a 15 minute walk, it is still something, whether you're walking inside, outside, um, it really does help. And for me, that is my self-care um, thing this year. So that's, I'm trying to work on being consistent again, because that did unfortunately fall off for me. And also sleep. Again, I think a lot of us sometimes neglect sleep and at times in your life you might you will not get as much sleep as you want. If you have a newborn baby, they are completely dependent on you. You will have to you will 
not have the most optimal sleep, but no, I don't. But like for other people, like there are times in your life where you won't do that or, um, but really trying to, um, prioritize getting sleep is also, I think very important for me now. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to get a lot of sleep and get back in shape too. I feel like at times life could get in the way you know especially like when you're older and you're working a full-time job that seems to take a lot out of you and it then does. when you come home you're so drained you're so tired you mm -hmm. just don't want to deal with anything and then you just want to lay down and by the time you wake up it's time to go back to that place again yeah <laughs> yeah for sure and some people need a lot of sleep some people don't i probably need a little bit less sleep than the average person but i still need to get all the sleep that i need to get and so um, if you're not sleeping, that definitely affects your mood, affects your appetite. Like you can be prone to maybe for some people overeating if they're not sleeping consistently. If you have certain mental health disorders, lack of sleep is one of the biggest triggers for um, a flare up of classically mania or for you feeling having a worse mood and depression. If you have autoimmune diseases, mm. lack of sleep can also cause those to flare up. So. It's something that we don't necessarily talk about too much, but um, definitely um, it is important because our bodies were designed to spend one third of our lives in sleep. That's pretty amazing. And slumber, especially babies and, yeah. and old people. So what made you want to come on the show? I think from watching um, a few of your other episodes and seeing the discussions that you had, it was... Oh, you oh, watched those episodes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like what I was getting myself into. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, but, um, and just seeing how you all are able to talk to many different people and also reach a lot of people to um, share good messages with them and I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. Out of the episodes that you watch, which one stuck out to you the most? Do you remember? Well, not really. Not so much the nitty gritty details. I watched them about two months ago when I reached when you reached out to me. But okay, okay. yeah, just the platform in general. Like we wanted to create a place where people could actually sit down and talk about different things, and people from all different walks of background, and we could just talk like it's just, you know, just just us in the room just having the conversation around the table you know mm -hmm. it started off with the cipher you know we used to sit around a round table and then now we make it a little bit more comfortable but we include technology even more that way we can have the the reach like sometimes we bring people from spain we bring people from london we bring a lot of people from california come on the show people from the midwest you know they're all coming in and we have these conversations with them and getting to know them even you i met you on pod match but then you have ties to New York as well. And then you actually came in in person mm -hmm. and, you know, blessed our studio with your presence and came and told the people about yourself and what it is that you're doing. So I appreciate that. Thank you. So tell the people where they could find your book. So you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes Noble, um, other platforms where ebooks are sold, like um, iBooks. So. I think it's a great book for both children. They've come up to me and said, I've learned so much. I'm not scared to go to the doctor anymore. Um, and also adults have found that it's uh, a good explanation of just um, the shots that we tend to get, not only when we're kids, but also as we get older. And I mean, I will say most people don't enjoy 
taking medications, getting shots, but the fact that we don't have to wrestle with so many diseases that used to wipe people out and kill people because of these medications and treatments that are available um, for us is amazing. I always think of the example of chickenpox. I don't know the last time I heard of somebody having chickenpox. Yeah, because the vaccine came out in the 90s um, for that. But when I was a kid, everyone got chickenpox. I got chickenpox. So um, it's really um, shows the benefit when my um, parents and great aunts were growing up. Polio was the scare. And, you know, the March of Dimes came out of that. But also, you know, you were very nervous. And unfortunately, I had to um, family members that did um, contract polio and had physical paralysis for the rest of their lives. In America or another country? Both here and in another country, mm. yeah. But wait, you didn't even tell them what the title of your book is. So my, <laughs> so my book is called Anjali the Brave, All About Vaccines. Okay. By? By Dr. Audra Smalls Monte and Dr. Maria Abraham. Okay, thank you, thank you. Do, you. do you guys also have a website or no? We do. You can find us. Um, our website is www.anjalithebrave.com. Also on Instagram, we're at Anjali the Brave. Um, and my personal Instagram is Dr. Audra, D O C T O R A D J O A. Okay, okay, okay. And leave the people with a closing thought. <laughs> closing thought is to. I would say there's a lot of tension in the world. Try to navigate it, believing that most people aren't targeting you, trying to come out after you, and you're just trying to do the best that you can helping other people. That's one, I'm gonna leave you two closing thoughts. The second closing thought is to also prioritize your general health. There's a lot of things that come into it, and it could be different things for people, but whether that is resting more, whether that is eating more healthy for you or whether that is doing something that is even more fun but trying to refocus on what makes you feel good and healthy and just um, trying to navigate the world with love. Mm. And my closing thoughts I would say is just to go after your dreams and make a plan in order to reach those dreams you know. Um, Start off small, but then use a snowball effect to eventually get to where you're trying to go. And, you know, same way that we did, you know, to reach our goals and to reach where we are and even to reach where we're going to end up becoming, you know, take those steps there. Whether it's education, getting internship, mentorship, being around the right people, getting to the right mind frame, you know, building that strong foundation in order to build towards where you're trying to go because you're the one that's building yourself up. That's gonna leave the legacy, but you have to lead that life that you're living. So that's what I would like to leave you all with today. We thank you all for joining us on the Real Word Podcast. You could catch us um, every Tuesday and Thursday on the Brick Network. That's at 12, 1, and 4. 
You can also follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash the real word seven, the real word seven like Mike Vick, or put in the real word ministries inc on Facebook. Also on Instagram at the real word ministries inc on Instagram at the real word ministries inc on Instagram, or follow me at rickstar1875 on Instagram. That's Rickstar1875 on Instagram. Also, check us out on YouTube, The Real Word TV on YouTube. You go to www.youtube.com backslash The Real Word TV or just type in The Real Word TV on YouTube. Also, check out our website at www.therealwordministriesinc.org. That's The Real Word Ministries Inc.org. And also, check us on podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and Pandora, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are found. So, we thank you for joining us today. We close out with a prayer. We're going to close out with a prayer. I'll let you leave. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, dear Heavenly Father, that doors in heaven, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for this opportunity to be here together as one. We thank you for uh, us coming together on your platform that you have blessed us with and where we're able to have people from all over the world to come here together and speak their minds and speak their truths. Dear God, I thank you for my sister that came on our platform today. We thank you for blessing her, her life her journey, her works, her ministry, her career. I ask that you continue to bless her in everything that she does. Protect her from harm. Cover her with your grace and your mercy, Lord. Bless her home. I also ask that you continue blessing me and protecting me, protecting my family as well and those around me, my business, and all of those that continue to um, serve within this ministry and continue to receive from this ministry as well. Lord, we put it all in your hands, knowing that your hands are bigger than ours and in your hands it will all multiply and you will give it back onto us so we can give it on to the people. And therefore, we give it on to you to receive your blessings. We ask all this in the name of your Son, not because we're better than anyone, because we're here humbling ourselves, kneeling on to you, asking for forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. And we ask for this in, your, in the name of your Son, Jesus, Yahshua. Amen. 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 So we thank you for joining us. Good night and God bless y'all. We out of here, baby. <laughs> It's a real world, it's a real world.